Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I know the passage of time always kind of catches us off guard. We're never going to learn, but it is wild to think that in one week from right now, we are going to be sitting in this room post Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. Like we are six days away from our first Winged Wheel Podcast Night with the Red Wings this year. Nuts. That crept up on us. Like three weeks ago, we were making summer plans. Yeah, we were talking about, you know, oh, what are we going to, are we going to head down to Traverse City for training camp or go to the, the Prospect Tournament? And somehow it's November and I'm thinking about putting <laughs> my snow tires on. I know. <laughs> well, I will say that I appreciate that the Red Wings made the tough decision to break the winning streak before Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA because if the run hot went all the way through to November 4th and then that game is when everything kind of came crashing down, that would have been extra upsetting. So thanks for getting it out of your system right now, Red Wings. Uh, we see what you're doing. It's much better that way and that way we can get back on the winning train with us there, all the Winged Wheel Podcast listeners there and everything. Really just gracious of them. Have we ever tracked what the Red Wings record is on Wing Wheel Podcast Night? I remember the Buffalo loss. It was not hot to start. It was not hot to start for sure, but it did turn around. We got a couple of wins in there, I believe. So I try not to we think did. about it too much. Boston's going to be a tough test, though, for this one. They start. It, I mean, part of it has to, to do with the fact that we started these when the Red Wings were way worse than they are now. Yeah. So hopefully that it starts to average out. Anyhow. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, folks. Here to talk to you about all things Detroit Red Wings hockey, the world of the NHL, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we are going to be talking to you about the Red Wings' uh, two most recent games, which have been a regression to the mean, so to speak, and there's a lot to take from them. Not exactly great that the Red Wings have walked away with a couple of losses, but still lots to discuss on that front. We'll be talking about individual storylines, players like Joe Valeno and... Uh, some things that haven't been going well for Detroit. We'll, we'll be giving an overview as to what this means for Detroit's season as a whole. As it is in the hockey world, there are a lot of strong reactions and we're here to break down you know, what's real, what's worth panicking over, and what's just part of the process. Uh, we'll be discussing the Red Wings' upcoming games as well as some NHL news. We all saw that Shane Pinto was suspended for 41 games for uh, issues regarding sports betting, which was a shock. Uh, we'll be talking about teams from across the league. Edmonton is doing their annual thing where they just suck terribly and now there's rumors of McDavid, you know, being upset and everything again. It's a fun tradition that we have on this podcast to talk about that and lots more from around the league. Before all that, I need to give you the details about Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA. It's this Saturday, November 4th. Get your tickets now. They are going to go away very, very soon. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings. We actually sold out of the tickets, but with, uh, the partnership of our good friends, the Detroit Red Wings, we were able to release 100 more, I think half of which are already gone, but there are still some tickets there available for you. What Winged Wheel Podcast Night at the LCA is, is a partnered event between us, the Winged Wheel Podcast, and the Detroit Red Wings, where we host a live episode of the show at Little Caesars Arena before the game. And that live episode is going to feature Ken Daniels and Chris Osgood on this rendition of it. So it's going to be very, very exciting. There's going to be an opportunity for Q&A meet and greet, uh, questions. You can get them to sign things for you. There's going to be merch, prizes, food and drink for you uh, available to purchase. And every ticket buyer, in addition to getting access to that pregame live show, in addition to getting access to obviously the Red Wings game right after, you also get a co-branded Detroit Red Wings and Winged Wheel Podcast officially licensed beanie. You get to sit in Winged Wheel Podcast specific sections your ticket is discounted and a portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. So it's all for a great cause. Tickets are very finite and they are running out. There's a chance by the time you hear this and you look, they might be gone. But wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings to get your tickets or go to the link in the description. Also, if you want to support the show and go above and beyond, the way we're able to do all this is through Patreon. Patreon.com slash wingedwheelpodcast if you want to join the Dub Dub Club. You get access to our official Winged Wheel Podcast Discord. You get entered into all of our giveaways. We're giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game, the vast majority going directly to patrons. And you get access to our Patreon-exclusive overtime bonus episodes, which record right after these main ones. It helps us do a lot of things, uh, which we'll talk about later on in the show, but that's everything that we do is thanks to our patrons. So again, patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. 
Okay, before we jump into the episode today, uh, we obviously have to take some time to uh, offer our condolences and our thoughts due to the heartbreaking news coming out of the UK. Uh, Adam Johnson, ex-NHLer, ex-Pittsburgh Penguin, and um, playing for the Nottingham Panthers over in the UK, uh, passed away in a tragic, tragic accident on ice uh, during a game in Sheffield. Yeah. There aren't really words to describe how heartbreaking and horrific this was. Um, the entire hockey community obviously is broken by this and everyone is sending um, their hearts and condolences out to Adam's family, friends, loved ones, etc. So the entire hockey community is um, mourning this tragic event. So again, our hearts go out to the memory of Adam Johnson. Okay, so... The Detroit Red Wings, two games, didn't go as planned. After what was a phenomenal start that saw them at the top of the league, they are now losers of three straight, one point of their last six, going back to the Seattle game where they lost 5-4 in overtime. They lost uh, equivalent 4-1 games in Winnipeg and Boston, the score lines obviously being a little bit different over the course of that game and how those played out, but still... Detroit walked away from Seattle and Winnipeg at home with one point out of four, which wasn't great. Going into Boston, a team that was absolutely rolling, you know, lost to the hands of the Ducks in dramatic fashion just prior. But other than that, Boston has been essentially flawless this year. I want to preface this all by saying I think Boston should be investigating for just being incapable of being bad. No matter how many good players they lose, they just seem to always be unreal. Yep. Which again, we talked about this during our season predictions guaranteed to be wrong anytime I bet against Boston, so here we are. But the Red Wings are now walking away with, you know, as high as the highs were previously, this is a pretty deep low coming off of a three-game losing streak. I have different feelings on how much of this is, you know, just part of the process and et cetera, et cetera, but we'll talk about the individual games as well. But this is a a much, a very stark difference compared to where we were a week or two ago. Yeah, and as fun as that early stretch was, you know, we referenced a million times how a lot of it wasn't sustainable, and that has crept up. We're still very early in the season, but we're early enough, uh, deep enough in that a lot of the metrics and analytics are starting to be worthwhile, and, you know, what's real, what's fake, what does regressing to the mean look like for a lot of teams, and if you look at a ton of the analytics around the Red Wings right now, a 5-3-1 record is about where they say they should be. They're not a bad team. They're not an above, like a well-above-average team. They're not a below-average team. They're average in a lot of metrics, and they're above-average in a few. Like their, their finishing rate has actually gone way up this year versus previous years, but their actual expected goals rate is lower, mm-hmm. or lower than average, I should say, not compared to last year because it was still bad last year. Their goaltending has is performing well. So yeah, five, three, and one is about what they should be. You know, the power play looked unreal for the first part of the season and in specifically the game against Boston last night, it looked every bit as bad as it did two years ago. And that's just hockey. You have it some nights, you don't have it some nights. And last night it was comically bad. And I, I I think I even might have said something about Twitter. It's almost shocking how bad some of their puck movement was. And I say that in a complimentary fashion because of how good it was yeah. for the rest of the season, that it was such a stark departure from what they've been doing that it actually caught me off guard. Uh, hey, positives in a loss that we didn't have in previous years where you're like, wow, they look bad. This isn't like them, yes. which is a new statement to add at the end of it. So we got to be grateful even in situations like that with how this season's been going. Yeah, though, it's it, the NHL is law of averages. It's a long season. It's a random sport. But things tend to balance out. And if you took the Red Wings entire season as a whole right now, games they should have won, games they should have lost, 5-3-1 and one is about right. Let's talk about the Winnipeg game. That was an interesting one. I I think the Winnipeg game was a continuation of some not Detroit's best play that we saw creeping in earlier on. Uh, 
even during the winning streak and then in the Seattle loss. We were kind of debating beforehand, Brad. I don't think Detroit was a better team over the course of the game. You think that they did play well enough and were probably a little bit better on balance. Uh, and we can have that discussion in a moment. I, I do think Detroit brought it on. It took a little bit to wake up. You know, going down to nothing isn't ideal. But they they were at some point able to bring that kind of pressure to Winnipeg, control a little bit more play. They got one on the board from Raymond, from Larkin and Sider. And at that point, it came down to Connor Hellebuck being absolutely one of the best goalies in the world. So I don't want to say they got goalied completely, but the goalie made the difference in that game that stopped Detroit from getting back into it. Winnipeg went up 3-1 and then you know scored at the end, empty net to make it 4. Yeah, the Red Wings may or may not have deserved the win. Balance of play was pretty even. It definitely was not a 4-1 game. No. The, the Red Wings deserved a better result than that. But it was typical of some of the flaws we saw even during the streak. The Red Wings were able, especially in the second half of the game, to pin Winnipeg in their zone with prolonged stretches of pressure and grade A scoring chances. And they were controlling the balance of play. And then Winnipeg would have a two-on-one. And then they'd have a three-on-one. And then they'd have a three-on-two. And it was... It felt like Winnipeg didn't generate much, but when they did, it was a great chance, even if not sustained. The Appleton goal in the third period being the perfect example of that because the Red Wings were controlling that period almost entirely to that point. Two-on-one, bad pinch, bad read. Now it's a two-goal game instead of a one-goal game, and we've harped about the Red Wings' struggles to defend off the rush, and that might have been one of the poster childs uh, of that this year before we saw another one, the next game, but, but to that point, it was just, uh, a play that didn't need to happen. And it's the NHL. It's easy to say, okay, yeah, well, 10 seconds of a brain cramp should not derail a whole game for you. And I would like to present to you, uh, the six years of Brendan Smith we had to experience. It absolutely can. <laughs> Brendan Smith out here catching straight. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to. That's hockey. You you have to be dialed in 60 minutes of a game, and the Red Wings had a really slow start and a couple brain lapses, and that was enough to give Winnipeg a convincing win. There was a gif that came out of the Boston game of Jericho Lone yelling onto the ice, saying, wake the F up. And I don't know whether he was talking to the refs or the Red Wings, but it very much felt applicable to Detroit over the past couple of games because there were long stretches against Boston up until like they got the goal. When Valeno gave them some life, they looked completely lifeless. And for stretches of that Winnipeg game, like you said, was it the worst hockey in the world? No, but they just weren't dialed in. Like, looked a bit sloppier. The breaks weren't really going their way. You know, the offensive firepower wasn't getting through because of the world-class goalie or and just the random swings over the course of a season, as you described, Brad. So when you're not easily outscoring your issues, you need to be dialed in and precise, especially against good teams. So... You don't want to say it's, they were unsurprising losses, but nothing over the course of the game really inspired that they were going to absolutely dominate like we saw them do earlier in the season. Again, the the things you're grateful for when reflecting on losses of previous years, the way that Boston game was going, if this was the Detroit writings of two years ago, you knew it was over, the way they were sleepwalking through it and just the talent disparity. Now this year, because there was optimism for a comeback because they've already done it, it was worth keeping around, and obviously we, then we got to see uh, arguably the goal of the year for the Red Wings, mm-hmm. uh, so it gave us some reason to kick around, but they're not going to be able to score their way out of problems. Uh, you know, Referencing some of the analytics I was looking at this afternoon with the Red Wings, by expected goals, so how many high-quality scoring chances have the Red Wings generated this year? They're dangerously close to bottom 10 in the league again. They they are carrying a very high shooting percentage, which is why their offense is lethal. And when you pick up a guy like Alex Debrinkit, that's real. It's not and random. Daniel Sprong. You expect the shooting percentage to go up, but when you see the expected goals for that low, it, you're not sounding an alarm, but it's something to monitor yeah. because they're not generating offense. And when you even narrow that down, take out the Red Wings top line, it looks real bleak beyond that. So. They have to be flawless on defense. Otherwise, 
there are going to be games. They're not going to score their way out of problems. Here we are on an episode with two games in between. They scored two goals. Yeah. The the goal in the Winnipeg game was Larkin extending his point streak to eight games to start the season. And it was also Mo Sider's 100th point, which was very cool. Uh, very fast to that milestone among you know the f- quickest in Red Wings history. So um, small silver lining in that game. Third fastest in franchise history. Second fastest if you don't count the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> so that is the Detroit game. Ultimately, like Brad said, it wasn't a 4-1 game the whole way through, but one that Detroit didn't come up big enough. And for whatever issues that there were in that game on Detroit's end, which we just outlined, Connor Hellebuck deserves all the recognition. That was a great performance by him. By the time Detroit did turn it on, he was there to make sure that they stayed at bay. And, you know, going into the Boston game, we thought, one of four points for games that were winnable for them, I think based on the opponent being at home, the kind of game that they played, how good they were compared to those teams, I think it was close enough. 104 is not great. Now you have to travel into Boston. Yeah, they just, again, lost to Anaheim, but still, this is one of the league's best teams this year. Don't know how they do it. They should be investigated. It's nonsensical how well they play hockey, even after losing their best players, but still, uh, I thought Detroit's going to need to bring their A game. They're going to need to be on... Even if things aren't going their way, let's say Swayman is just, you know, absolutely goalieing the Red Wings. They need to be on like they were earlier in the season to come away from this with a a two-point win. And I got to say, up until Valeno's goal in the third period, yeah, it was only 2 nothing. And you alluded to this, Brad. When they scored, you were like, oh, man, this is only 2-1 now. In years previous, this would be 5-1. And this is the difference. Even when you're bad, you're better. And that's how you get better over the course of the season. So that's good. But... I will say, until Valeno scored, Detroit looked lifeless, sloppy, imprecise, and it wasn't just a function of, you know, Boston has better players and they're a better team. Sure, yeah, that's fine, but we've seen Detroit execute better. Like, they're passing bad, turnovers bad, their movement on the power play not good. Like, I just didn't see the Red Wings that you could see previous. They looked very, very off against Boston. Yeah, mentally they weren't sharp. A lot of bad reads, a lot of bad turnovers. I The one, the irony of it all is it led to a power play for the Red Wings, but Jeff Petrie with what I can say is comfortably the worst red pinch I've seen of the year in the first period where it was one of those ones, and you can relate to this as a former defenseman. Mm-hmm. He took one step inwards from the blue line on that play, and I think every Red Wings fan just simultaneously yelled, no, because you could see... He got beat before he was like the he was even reached. He didn't touch the player. He didn't touch the puck. Yeah, he, yeah. It was not close. And if it wasn't for, I think it was McAvoy running interference on a Lucas Raymond back check, it was a great A scoring chance for Boston that probably should have resulted in a goal because if I'm not mistaken, I think it was Pasternak carrying the puck. If you're ever not going to pinch, maybe not with one of the most lethal goal scorers on the planet on the ice. Oh my God. His penalty shot goal was sick. Like clockwork. Oh my. And it was... It might not have looked like much, but watch all of the movement and fakes with his head and his body. Dude, he had he had Billy Huso in the Red Wings dressing room. Yeah, in Detroit. <laughs> yeah. And I think most, nearly every other goalie on the planet would have done that. Like, that's almost impossible to stop. Yeah. He is sick. Like, anyways. Yeah, and the Red Wings got a power play out of that, which you might have hoped would have been an early game momentum swing in which the Red Wings almost, I don't know if they gained the zone with possession at any point in those two minutes. And you could tell the wings were mentally off. The biggest flag for that on me was on the power play. They were trying to force that half wall to bumper pass. And it was Boston was all over that. It was never open. Mm -hmm. Boston was Boston won. You got to give Boston credit. They have a super aggressive penalty kill to the point where it actually makes me surprised other teams in the NHL don't do it. They're willing to give up odd mans away from the play because they their theory is we're going to apply so much pressure on the puck, he's not going to have time to make that read. And it works, and Detroit reacted poorly to it. But even when Detroit did have the puck, Boston knew what they were trying to do because they've been killing it with the Debrinket to Larkin or Goss to to Larkin uh, bumper play, and Boston's just like, we're going to cover that. We're going to make you beat us from somewhere else on the ice. 
And the Red Wings never even got close to figuring that out. Not only did they not try to find other ways to generate that offense, they forced the pass to Larkin. And I counted at least three separate times in the first half of the game where Boston picked it so cleanly, it was an easy breakout for them. Yeah. I think 0-3 against Winnipeg and then 0-4 on the power play against Boston, you could sense a little bit of the desperation, but it didn't come with the sensible execution that they've had in previous games. Yeah, against Winnipeg, I can at least sit here and say a large part of why they went 0-4 on the power play was Connor Hellebuck. I don't know if Swayman saw a shot from the home plate area on Detroit's power play against Boston. Yeah, it was, Boston was clinical. The, the group chat, I think someone said in the group chat, like Boston looks clinical. They play such a, like, I don't want, I don't want to call it perfect hockey. Obviously no one plays perfect hockey, but they play the kind of hockey that wins you games consistently night in and night out where like, you know, even their B game or their C game, like when they're not on it, they are still doing all the right things all over the ice where it matters. I'm glad you brought that up because that was the perfect textbook of the difference between the Bruins and the Red Wings. Because the Red Wings defending wasn't that bad on Saturday. That is not the reason they lost. Huso wasn't bad. I didn't love the McAvoy goal, but whatever. Your, your goalie's going to let in goals like that every once in a while. Who cares? I mean, I, to be fair, McAvoy shouldn't have been able to walk by Goss to spare that cleanly, but... Either way. You get what you get. Multiple mistakes leading to a goal. It happens. The Bruins don't cause themselves to lose. Mm -hmm. The Red Wings do. And the Red Wings did that game. Again, Boston didn't do a ton to force the issue to, to create goals out of nothing against the Wings. They just waited for Detroit to make a mistake capitalized on it, and then did not make any mistakes themselves. They played conservative, sound hockey, which is everybody rolling their eyes right now. I get it. That's you rolling your eyes. You hate that. Yeah, I hate it, but that's how you win in the NHL. That's what the Red Wings are trying to do. Yeah. So if, if you're going to sit here and go, okay, well, I don't want the Red Wings to play like that. I I agree. I would rather a much more entertaining brand of hockey. But then the, we need Elias Pettersson to come here first. But the Red Wings are trying to play that brand of hockey. So yeah. if you're going to do it, you have to replicate it. You have to play no mistake hockey because you are not going to create enough offense to make up for the gaps. That Jeff Petrie pitch, I hate to keep picking on him, but that Jeff Petrie pinch is the poster child for this is what you can't do in yeah. this style of hockey. You cannot do that. I don't even care if Lalone's very pro defense activating, which most teams are, but you got to make the right read. You have to. It's the NHL. I, there's no room for forgiveness. Oh, I thought I could get there. Doesn't matter. Don't do it. Unless you're 1000% certain on that read, like you can't be. Or you, you got to be like, if I'm not going to beat him to the puck, I'm going to put him into the third row. Yes, exactly. You can't, it can't be zero. It's got to be both or, or one. It can't be zero. If it's McAvoy and Pasternak coming the other way, if you miss, you're not taking that pinch. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows who they're going to be out against. Yeah. It's not like you're playing a, in some tournament league and you've never played this team before. You know exactly what's happening and who's out on the other team. Yeah. And when when it's a guy who's so automatic that it, it doesn't matter whether it's Huso or Vasilevsky or, you know, Brad's kid Hank in net, like he's scoring. And as soon as guys make pinches like that, they're like, ah, well... That one's, yeah. where's the trap door? <laughs> I need to get out of here immediately. Yeah, my favorite game to play when I watch hockey, whether it's Red Wings or anyone else, is, oh, that's a terrible moment every defenseman has experienced, and they have nightmares about it. And the missed pinch where your body hits nothing, and the momentum is going forward, and the momentum of the play is going hard the other way, you're just like, you almost wish you you don't make it back to the bench because you, you know. You just wish the tunnel was like in the corner, so you could just, just open leave. the door. <laughs> yeah. Skate off, get your equipment off. Not look at the coach in the eyes, yeah. that kind of thing. The absolute inverse of scoring the overtime goal and then leaving the ice. Yes, yes. <laughs> no, I, I agree with what you're saying, Brad. It's The season is a marathon, and it doesn't mean that you're not going to have high, high-end power play nights or nights where Debrink has scores hat tricks or whatever, but the kind of game that the Red Wings are trying to play, the challenge is twofold. One is actually getting better as a team to be able to perform that way, and we've seen early on that they're able to do it, but the second challenge, and I think this is the challenge that most teams, even good teams face, is how do you bring that game night in and night out? You can't peak all season. No one, no team in professional sports can peak all season. That's just not how it works. But you need to make sure that your floor is really high 
in that I don't even want to call them low hanging fruit, but you you clean up the parts of your game that, like Brett has said, are unnecessary risks that are going to be detrimental to you on average statistically over an 82 game season. And that's it sounds plain and simple, but it's very hard. Being a good team is one thing, but being a good team every single night while Especially traveling. When every other team is also trying to be incrementally better every single game. And they've been like Boston's been good for a decade now. Like they've been there. Yeah. <laughs> and do they have all the same guys? No, but the 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 culture, the systems, the the mentality, that all stays. It's hard to quantify on paper or through any analytic, but that's a real thing. Anyone who's played team sports knows that. Teams who win stay winning until unless something devastating disrupts that and i mean we're seeing it with boston and that's like that's why i'm equal parts disappointed in how the red wings played over the last couple games yeah but also not terribly concerned because this is an expected challenge and there are positives to take away like brad said earlier you know detroit's bad well that still left him only two one down and if not for like i think uh it's a pretty unfortunate turnover i think it was raymond and then the pasternak penalty shot whatever that could have been a two one game going into the third and then you never know detroit might squeak that into OT and then they get a lucky bounce and they win a game where they did, weren't better on balance. So that's good. They, they kept themselves in the mix and that's much different. I don't think Huso's been absolutely outstanding. I don't think he's been terrible. I think most games he's been, he'll have like moments where uh, you're like, ah, he should have stopped that, but also some key saves. He's been sufficient. And so it's not like your goalie's sinking you. You're staying in the games, even against teams who are playing way better. And so your floor is rising. Yes, this is all just part of the process. But this is now the next challenge for Detroit where you have to see how they handle this adversity. They're in a valley now. They've dipped. How do you step out of it? Because they're going to be facing Boston again in six days. Uh, I think the game plan at this point after watching last night should be play sound mistake-free defense and then just give the puck to Joe Valeno at every chance. That was a sick goal. That That's the best goal a Red Wing has scored on talent in years. Brandon Carlos. Little inside out. Oh, God. Talk the, about a defenseman's nightmare. The, when, when you're a half step behind and they're just turning yeah, you around like when that. When the pace is just slightly higher than yours as you're backing up. Yeah. yeah. I, I can't imagine the feeling of getting beat under the triangle as a defenseman and then have it happen twice. That's not great. <laughs> it's not good. It's not, that's, when you, that's when you take your stick like it's a baseball bat and you swing. <laughs> you're like, absolutely not. I'm not getting scored on like this. I will go to the box. Yeah, I could, I could, I mean, Swayman had no chance. He was in the right spot, and Giovano literally found the the three inch angle to put that puck, and yeah. what a goal! You talk a lot, Brad. Valeno has a good release. You you actually went on a big tirade about this last year. Like, you want more from Valeno's offense. That's what we've wanted for a little while now, and it's not like he'll ever be like a twenty five, twenty five, like fifty point guy. But he has the kind of release to make an impact from depth. And you were saying, use it more. And we've seen him do it multiple times now this year. Towards the end of the last season and this year, like this is his fifth goal. He has been one of like the shining beacons for Detroit that I still think is a little underappreciated. And that was a sick shot. Yeah, he his issue was never his shot. It was just getting enough looks. Yeah. And creating a little more for himself. And, you know, he was a great transition player. He's not bad along the cycle. It was one of those situations of why aren't you getting more chances the eye test says you should be getting more chances because he scored on a lot of the chances he got and yeah it, going back to another old Jovalino narrative he doesn't always figure it out right away but at every level he's been at eventually he's figured it out yeah. in the queue world juniors ahl eventually he got it maybe this is the year it all clicks in the nhl and you know he becomes that 2020 guy potentially i know you said he's not gonna be uh the 25 25 guy he's on pace for 46 goals right now i'm just saying but (laughs) 46 goals 45 goals in nine games yeah that's that's a 46 goal pace well joe i'm sorry but the new standards have been applied yeah can he hit 50 i say yes (laughs) it's nice to see a guy like him like some of the young guys have have confidence because you know, Red Wings of previous seasons would have just dumped that turnover back in, went for a change, or tried to set up uh, set up the cycle. He had the confidence in himself to to go right at Brandon Carlo and and make that move and create offense by himself. Yeah. So, it, that's a nice, pleasant surprise this season from Joe. And it was it was a good forced turnover by Sprong in the neutral zone. Not the first time he's done that this year, actually. So 
the connection be the, between those two has had its moments where it's looked really good too. I yeah, that was a continuation of some really solid play from Joe Valeno. And it also ties back into the point I was making earlier, which is even when Detroit's not playing well, they're playing good enough now where they can hang in games. Yeah, it's 2-0 against the Bruins. That's not great. They're a pretty stingy team. You're not going to score easily against them. But you have players up and down the lineup who, in a flash, can make a difference like that. Which the Red Wings have been sorely lacking for a long time. Yes, Absolutely. You you can't bank on Joe Valeno to give you the spark every night. Like if you're that far in the game and Joe Valeno finally gave you a spark, the game's not going well. Let's call a spade a spade. But it was only 2-0. Joe Valeno gave Detroit a spark and they looked alive after that. The penalty shot is what sunk them. If not for that penalty shot, which is a big if, but if not for that penalty shot, I really think that the ice was tilting in Detroit's favor and they had a chance there. I, I don't know. Like that's... I'm not sitting here saying, yeah, it's a great thing that Detroit lost to Winnipeg and Boston and an OT to Seattle. Like one point out of six, phenomenal. No, of course not. But Would I take a 5-3 and one start to the season? Yeah, yeah almost yeah. always. Yeah, as Brad, going back to the top of it, Brad said, like, this is about where it all says it should be. The underlying, and, and if you average out what we've seen with our eyes, like the highs of the highs and the lows of the lows, yeah, this is... These are some expected results. I will say now Detroit's going to be, you know, on Long Island on Monday night at seven thirty. They they've been playing okay too. They have to come on the road and bring a much better game. I would like to see them not bank on, you know, one player, you know, breaking through or special teams controlling the game for them. I, you need to see them be able to do a little bit more in terms of controlling the pace, controlling the opportunities. They're going up against another Vesna level goalie. Oh, like God. there's not going to be any freebies out there. Well, I mean, maybe there will be. Maybe there will be, but no, yeah. Unlikely there will be. You can't look at the Islanders defense in Sorokin and say, yeah, those guys are going to make it easy for us. And you know what? You said this earlier, Evan. There aren't any free lunches in the NHL, especially not in this division in this conference. Like everyone's well, competing yeah, for this. There's free games when you play Edmonton, but <laughs> we're waiting for the West Coast uh, swing. That's right. I will say there are no free lunches in the NHL, except maybe San Jose. <laughs> oh, that is a free oh, lunch. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. They are they are making the, what, 1920 Red Wings look like the 70s Montreal Canadiens. It is. Like, <laughs> and that's, that's what I mean. Like, now that Detroit is out of the San Jose... Montreal, although Montreal is, I think, technically ahead of Detroit in the standings. They're 5-2-1. and one, Yep. But where they're expected to be by the end of the season, like, if you're no longer talking draft lottery rivalries, like, this is what it's like. Every single night, you have expectations against teams who, on paper, can beat you. It, it, the only difference before is those teams could also beat Detroit in previous seasons, but Detroit had no expectations against them, and this is the difference. So, to wrap it up, one thing I want to say is I don't have any problem with people who look at those three games where Detroit walked away with 1.6 and said, here are some really concerning signs and I'm worried about the course of the season. Like those are all fair. Like you saw them and I think it's correct to say Detroit has to work on a lot of those things. A lot of which we brought up on this episode so far, if this season is to have the kind of promise that we thought it did in the first two weeks. But where I land personally, my opinion is, is, I'm not screaming that the sky is falling. I think part of this is regression to the mean, and I think part of this is just, you know, this is the way it shook out for the Red Wings, and you're not going to have it every night. I'm not, uh, I think you should be able to criticize a team even after a hot start. It's not bad to talk about a regression to the mean. It doesn't invalidate any of your opinions that you had before, or any of the good that the Red Wings had before, but I'm not a, oh yeah, Detroit is now in a tier with San Jose person. I think that's just too much doom, like a, a doomerness this early nobody is in a tier with san jose <laughs> they're special man they are and you know what they're over that. there eating glue i want to i want to go to them i want to go to mike greer and be like hey the red wings have been here before man teams don't tank though so maybe they'll hit a huge winning streak i want you Come to on, know man, they play in the shark tank i want you to know <laughs> yeah, that, you're not wrong <laughs> i want you to know there's a good chance you're not going to get macklin celebrini Detroit's been here. Other teams have been here. No, no, no. Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. They they will win it. They'll win it. The other teams that have experienced what Detroit has have won lotteries. We are the exception. Yeah. Certainly feel Are you going to get the top player in one specific draft? No, the odds are against you. But given that San Jose is going to probably be in the next seven of these, 
they're going to win a few of them. Oh, man. How special. Anyhow, that's Detroit. They are currently, I will give you their standings update right now. They are currently not in a divisional seed. They're currently in the first wild card spot with Tampa Bay behind them who could potentially pass them, as could New Jersey, who's just outside, uh, as could, I believe, Philly, who could actually tie their record specifically. So, oh, and as could Florida, et cetera, et cetera. You're seeing how this is going. Detroit is no longer off to that top of the East start, but again, it is still very early. Yeah, it's almost like we're nine games into the season and there's only so many points to go around. That's Although right. I think Vegas, remember how uh, Vegas and uh, Edmonton were supposed to be the go head to head in the Pacific? Isn't Vegas like 13 or 14 points ahead of Edmonton already? Yeah, Vegas is 8 0 1 for 17 points and Edmonton has three points 1 5 and 1. <laughs> Whole good That's- thing. You know what? As much as I would love to have Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl on my team, I'm very glad we're not an Edmonton podcast. This would be... Every year, at the end of the season, we'd just be screaming. You know how those markets are. like Oh, it's feast or famine in Edmonton. And Edmonton's easier, I think, as far as Canadian markets go, but now that they have McDavid, they're The Florida gonna... North, basically, is how I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> very fair, actually. <laughs> and, yeah, I don't know. We'll get to the, the Edmonton conversation. Okay, that's Detroit. That is our thoughts on the overall vibes. Why don't we get into some NHL news? Shane Pinto, who we talked about over the course of the summer and the start of the season because he didn't have a contract yet with Ottawa, a divisional foe for Detroit. We were monitoring that because he's an important piece of their depth. You know, I saw a notification pop up about him and I thought, oh, Pinto, here's his contract. Seemed like they were close, whatever. Nope, Shane Pinto suspended for 41 games for sports betting-related issues. And I'm going to give you the rundown on this, and if it seems like the information is spotty and came out at a weird pace, that's exactly what happened. Essentially, the news that Pinto was going to be suspended for a long time dropped first. The official announcement wasn't too long afterwards. So much of this screams the NHL just wanted to get ahead of some things that they leaked before they wanted it to. But the notion was that Pinto was involved in sports betting of some kind and he got a half season suspension. That's heavy. That is like more than 10 times people get for hitting other players in the head. 20 times that in some cases. So I thought, okay, that's heavy. So was he betting on hockey? But then it was said from various sources and outlets that no, he wasn't explicitly betting on hockey. So I, I said something like, this doesn't sit right with me considering how the NHL has gone full bore into sports gambling if he wasn't even betting on hockey. And then I, I took it back and I realized how stupid I was being because the NHL was being very cagey. Like we still don't have the exact details of what he did. And I think the reason we don't know that is because it's all being litigated and negotiated behind the scenes and it's a very complicated thing. So essentially Shane Pinto... At some point in the offseason, you know, he had an account with a sports betting site, which isn't, you know, players are allowed to bet on other sports, but there are different theories as to what happened. There was some impropriety or, or something untoward in the way he was handling that account. Some people have said it could be that he gave someone else access to it. Some people, it could have been, you know, they didn't basically something in terms of how he was betting and the way the bets were being made or who had access to account. His account was just something that broke the the trust and the like uh, the Ag- standards agreed that, upon framework of what was allowed basically yeah exactly you don't you don't suspend someone for 41 games unless they messed up badly yeah and you know they landed on 41 games after the PA the NHL yeah PA wasn't it basically involved. like a plea deal essentially yeah we're not going to appeal this and you give us you know a lower uh, a sentence, so to speak, because Brad, you were saying before the show, the NHL wanted to give him a full season. Yeah, the the opening punishment uh, issued by the NHL, at least in proposal, was a full season. And the NHLPA was able to negotiate that down to 41. And a plea deal is actually probably a great way of phrasing it. We won't appeal, you know, X, Y, and Z, but you only give them 41 games. And then the NHL can go, okay, no appeal. We can just be done with it, sweep it under the rug. It makes sense. So whatever happened was severe enough where the NHL really wanted to stamp this out because we've all seen, like even before, you know, sports betting really got into the NHL, like we've all heard of points shaving, the whole 
Uh, everyone will remember the scandal with the Coyotes. Everyone will remember the scandal in the NBA with the referees. Like there's Pete Rose. Yeah, Pete Rose. Like you get Paul, into- Paul Crew in the Longest Yard. <laughs> you <laughs> great, such a good movie. That's still so one of the good. most quoted movies between me and my friends. Oh, a thousand percent. Every time I, I shank a shot in golf, I say, I knew I shouldn't have had that popcorn. <laughs> if you mess up in sports, you just say that. I don't and even know if I've watched that movie. Come on. Longest Yard, is that Adam Sandler? Yeah. yeah nah, that, I don't know. I think I've seen clips. You got to watch it. You'd love it. It's stupid okay. humor, so you would get it. Is Gold, <laughs> like Goldberg the wrestler in that movie? Yes. Okay. Maybe I have seen it. Joey Diaz. Uh, Burt Reynolds? Anyhow. <laughs> it, was, it, was a, it was a mix. It was a great... It was like... A, it was Anyhow. There, there was enough here where it was like, if this gets out and goes unpunished, like, you can't break the public and the fans' trust in a sport, period. Like, it is devastating to the standards of a sport. Oh, I don't the, think they give a shit about the, the well, fans. No, no. I, I think, think they <laughs> give a shit. I think they... <laughs> I mean, that, that's obvious. I think they care about what sponsors and the people who, you know, pump millions of dollars into the into this business. Uh, that That's the part that's really going to motivate them. Yeah. And not just the sponsors. It's also, if you're going to have sports gambling money in, you can't, the sport has, the integrity has to be foremost. Yeah. Exactly. That's the word. The integrity of the result. You, people are making fun of the Pinto suspension given the absolutely insane amount of gambling ads. Isn't but there a that, picture of Pinto's the, helmet having a, a gambling ad on yeah. it? Isn't that one of their advertisements? Like, yes. that's Ottawa's helmet? Yeah. Ad? Yes. And, you know, people are making fun of that, but that is the reason this has to be so severe because the NHL is leaning into the gambling so much that the gambling has to be, it sounds dumb, a safe space yeah. in terms of yes. stuff like this because if there is any impropriety or any questions about the integrity of the result of the game, hence the result of the bet, there's millions of dollars out there. People are going to lose their minds. And the NHL is making so much money off this. If BetMGM or Bet99 or what the hell ever one goes, what the hell is going on here? It's a major problem for the NHL. We're talking like if this money goes away, the cap goes flat again. Like you cannot as a business, you cannot as a sport ever let this happen and even before i think the nhl would have come down hard there have been instances in the past but especially now it is like you have to be so extra vigilant so that's why i was like no i'm being dumb very obviously there was something here you look at pinto's you know response or his statement that he put out that is a a guy who showed contrition and like he knows and acknowledges that he did something wrong he's gonna have to take a lump on his next contract all of his leverage is gone now Ottawa actually credit to them did quite a bit to protect him because no one really had a, a note about this for a long time. I, I'm I know quite a few people in the Ottawa world didn't hear a whisper about it. Even like the Saravali and Friedman, they said they were only really working on it for like a week, week and a half. Like Ottawa really kept this under wraps. So whatever it was, whatever the details are, they'll come out in due time. Has something to do with either information being passed to someone else or someone else having access to an account and the way the bets were being made or whatever it is. I don't think it was like malicious or that he was running some whole gambling ring that was ruining the integrity of the sport, but it's a line that you, you just, you got to throw the book at somebody when it's when the stake, sorry, no pun intended when the stakes are this high. (laughs) Yeah. You get, you have to, you, you cannot let a toe go across the line. You cannot yeah. even leave a crack in the door because for this to exist in this way, it has to be absolute zero tolerance. Yeah, because even if it wasn't malicious, can't this, it's, just, it's just nope. That he's Right now then, he's paying the stupid tax. Oh, yep, 100%. Yeah. And that's essentially how it was put forward. It's like he made a mistake, a dumb mistake, but he made a mistake. And they got to come out heavy so that it detracts any of the the other players to to make similar mistakes like – they have to set a precedence and it has to be heavy. So, I mean, like, yeah, that's that's something that they had to do. Ottawa also, I think, got away lucky here because they well, were Imagine talking... if they had to, like, trade someone to sign it. Yeah, that's what they were talking they about had, doing. Then they were they did, were out two players? Oh, my God. I mean, that I feel would feel so bad for them. <laughs> that would be the wildest twist to the summer of Pierre. And it, Ottawa's, I just want to say for a second... You know, obviously there's the rivalry right now between Detroit and Ottawa, but Ottawa has had a rough 
rough ride of late. The Pinto situation. Thomas Shabbat out four to six weeks with a fractured hand. Brandstrom and Zub also out. And there's now talks of that whole uh, trade situation with Vegas from way, way back that, you know, there's rumors of Ottawa being penalized for that retroactively for improper communication with Vegas and the whole, uh, the trade list and the no trade clause and all that. And there's talks of them losing a pick. There's whispers of a first round pick, but a pick going away from them. Like not all of it just random happenstance, some of it self-inflicted, but Ottawa, (laughs) well, I have a buddy who's an Ottawa fan and he's like, I'm looking for that meme right now to send you like, why does God give his toughest test to his strongest soldiers? Like (laughs) the Sens are going through it. After uh, having to deal with their fan base on Twitter all summer, I'm okay with this. (laughs) Look, man. I don't cry for any other fan base. I don't even cry for the Red Wing fan base. We had a lot of years of success. Yeah. You can't cry too much. We we were allowed to cry for exactly one day a year over the last seven years. And that was draft lottery day. That's that's so it. painfully true. Every everything else we can fall back on the streak. Uh those though, we, this is our day to mourn. Mika when she's older. I've seen my dad cry twice in my life. Once when Nick Ledstrom retired, and then other time, every other time they lost a draft lottery. Pretty much. Yeah, that was some news with Shane Pinto. Again, the details aren't out, but you can deduce pretty easily what's why they had to come down like this. The Edmonton Oilers, we talked about them already on the show, but I I just have to go back to it. A lot of people had them as potential cup candidates, favorites out of the West, you know, the only ones who are really going to compete with Colorado, Dallas, Vegas. They are currently 31st of 32 teams in the league. One, five, and one, three points. McDavid is coming back now, but he was hurt for a little stretch there. Atrocious start to the season. Negative 13 goal differential, good for second worst in the league. A horrible nightmare start for the Oilers. They can't afford this this year, right? Like they, the clock has run out. All their gimmies are gone. All of their, you know, free passes are gone. Like they need to be able to convince McDavid and Drysaddle that they can do this here. They can't afford this of all seasons this season. Well, when you look at the way this team is constructed, you have Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, Zach Hyman, and then Nugent Hopkins is the only other person that really comes to mind. Exactly. Uh, well, Darnell. Nurse makes uh, well, Norris Norris money. He, he's coming to mind, but for a far different reason. They're, uh, you know, you know how some teams have a one A one B goalie situation. Edmonton's really leaning into the two A two B. Can't get a save, can't defend, and you know McDavid and Drysaddle themselves have put up okay numbers this year, but a far stretch from their standard. They will get back to their standard. Oh yeah, what um, right now Jack Hughes is probably the biggest problem for the Pacific Division. Because McDavid's looking at his near three points per game and going, uh-uh. Yeah. Well, he's itching to get back going, no. Oh, and not. you know he sees that. And everyone is doing the whole, is Jack Hughes one of the best yep. players in the world? And McDavid's like, he's yep. going to go nuclear. You know he is. He's he's seething. Yes. Waiting to get back onto the ice, looking at all the narratives around Jack Hughes right now. And rightfully so, because McDavid wasn't McDavid before his injuries. So he's got to step his game up. Edmonton's in one of those situations right now where literally everything that could go wrong has gone wrong. McDavid got hurt. They can't get a save. They can't defend. Their depth is getting exposed at forward. Their acquisitions, most notably Connor Brown, have done nothing. It's just everything that could go wrong has. And we talked about it with the Red Wings. Hey, when you're bad is still you're in the game, that's a good sign. Edmonton's bad is 1-5-1. and one. Edmonton's bad is you lost, what is it, 8-1 to the Vancouver Canucks, who have been doing great to start the season on opening night. Like, that is... That's a bad start. That, that been, sticks with you. We've been talking about how the Red Wings at least have the ability to out-depth teams, even though they lack the McDavid and Drysaddles of the world. Edmonton's the complete inverse. McDavid and Drysaddle have to beat you, or you're going to absolutely walk the Oilers. And you, it's getting exposed right now. And you'd think, like, they're de- like if I just said their decor of Evan Bouchard, uh, Darnell Nurse, Matthias Ekholm, and Philip Broberg, like, you'd think, like, that's an extremely comf- competent top four. But, man, like, 
this team is in a world of hurt, and I don't know how you address depth when that's what you've been attempting. You've been attempting to address depth for four years, and you're still somewhat in the same spot. And they don't even have enough cap space to roster a full roster right now. So (laughs) what I will say is... I think there are changes coming in Edmonton. I do believe Ken Holland's time is going to come to an end by retirement. I've heard, I heard rumors about that. Is last it retirement year. or retirement? I think no. I think it's genuine. Like he's had this planned. Like, I'm so sick of this shit. No, <laughs> he's been in the game for a long time, right? And I, I think he's had this planned. It's not that like, of course he'd love to win with McDavid, and he still might, but I don't know that he's going to go much beyond this season or next, if that. Uh, from based on what I've heard, and uh, so I don't know. Someone's gonna have a job to do in Edmonton to kind of get out of this cap tangle, but you can't wait until that happens because Brad alluded to it. McDavid's the one of the most competitive players in professional sports, and that is a common theme among you know the best of the best of the best. They all are like that, and they care about things like their name being on top of the stats list, their name being at the I'm the best player in the world conversation, their name being on the Stanley Cup. Like Every single thing that they can compete in, they compete in. Them having the highest AAV compared to their peers. That matters to them. McDavid wants to do this in Edmonton. I don't doubt that. Dreisaitl, of course. I don't doubt that at all. But at some point, you're like, what the hell are we doing here? Yep. I think that I think you're pushing your luck by not finding a way to make this work. And with the goaltending, like, I don't know, I'm maybe it's too much of a generality. But the way I see goaltending is if you have a good goalie who's performed well in the past, who all of a sudden just can't turn it on, and it's not really explained by much else, like he's not 42 years old or anything like that, I start to think systems, like the defensive systems in front of him, like the way you're handling the game in front of him and around him, like you're not setting him up for success. And I know not everyone can... Uh, not every team has the personnel to do what Carolina does, for example, or Boston or whatever. But whatever's happening in Edmonton is just not working for those goalies. Well, Jack Campbell's biggest enemy is Jack Campbell. He's, it's been game. sort of his MO his entire career, which is so unfortunate because there's str- stretches where he looks almost unbeatable. And then he lets in a soft one and it's like this guy's world starts to crumble around him. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting storylines going on in Edmonton now that I think about it. But man, it is a tough spot to be right now as a fan. Someone who's in the opposite spot, Jack Hughes. Because, you know, for all the start that Dylan Larkin and Alex DeBrinkett had at the top of the NHL charts in terms of goals and points, Larkin's still second, 15 points in nine games. But in two fewer games, Jack Hughes has 18 points. (laughs) That is outrageous. Yeah, he has been absolutely unreal. The emergence isn't sudden. Everyone else, anyone who's been watching Jack Hughes over the past few years knows exactly how good he's been. And the fact that he was going to pop off, injuries kind of hit a little bit of that for some time. But, you know, the moment he signed that contract that he's on now, I'm like, oh God, that's going to be so good for New Jersey. And he is going to be, I think he's going to join like the McKinnon Matthews tier of players a lot of the time where you're like, on their night, they could be the best player in the world, and this is a guy who could make a difference in a cup run. Well, he's almost three points per game, so that uh, theory seems pretty sound. It's, I don't want to think of draft lotteries or anything like that, but yeah, that's that's who you expect New Jersey would have gotten, and this is the Jack Hughes as described as we were scouting him. Imagine if we lost the Jack Hughes lottery and ended up with Alex Turcott instead of Mo Sider. Yeah, it's funny how that shook out, because... Turcott is arguably one of the most disappointing storylines from that draft. And he went one pick ahead of Detroit and pretty strong bet he would have ended up in Detroit had he yeah. fallen that one more spot. Same with Kirby Doc. Had Chicago not gone him at three, we know Detroit was all over him. Well, Doc... Doc's Mon- a good player. He ain't Jack Hughes or Mo Sider. No. Montreal Doc has, is way different than Chicago Doc. Yeah. Anyhow. Those are some storylines from across the NHL. We're actually just going to jump into overtime now on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Overtime is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want to support the show. The entry into our giveaways, like the two tickets to every Red Wings home game, the Discord, and the bonus episodes are some of the benefits that you get. You allow us to continue to produce the show, host Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA in partnership with the Detroit Red Wings. 
support the Jamie Daniels Foundation and continue the growth of our kind of content network. Expected by Whom is a show hosted by Prashanth Iyer and Sean Shapiro. Give them a follow and definitely give them a listen as well. So again, patreon.com slash podcast. Let's take some questions from our patrons. The Mexinadian says, what do you think of Cider's performance so far this year? He's at a point per game so far, yet a lot of people are saying he doesn't look good. Personally, I think he's made some unnecessary moves, but he's still Mo Cider and will produce regardless. He's been fine. A couple bonehead decisions, but for 90% of the game, he's good. A little bit of the Brendan Smith syndrome so far early in the season is probably the best way I can put it. Yeah, you know, Mo Sider, eight points in nine games. Like, that's a, what you said is that he's still Mo Sider. That's a great way to put it because even when he's not doing his best, he's still putting up eight points in nine games. We just know what Mo Sider can be, and he can lock it down defensively, and he can make, you know, unreal breakout plays and constantly be in the right spot and, you know, take guys out of the play rather than get turned around. And I think we've seen not enough of that so far and some avoidable mistakes. So I think it's fair to call out that he's not been at his best. It seems to be how he starts seasons. You you hope he breaks out of that. That's just part of being a young player in the NHL. But has he been terrible? No. Has he been most higher level good? I'd say no. And that still is eight points. Aaron Hudson says, hey guys, given the sad incident in the EIHL, I really think it's time the NHL and all other leagues mandate some form of neck protection. These things don't happen often, thank God, but let's do what we can to make them an even rarer occurrence. It's always been crazy to me how it's not mandatory in any league once you get past junior. I think it, like, You know how it, professional athletes are resistant to change even as like dumb as that sounds, but like um, think of how long it took them to get guys to even just wear helmets. Yeah, helmets Visors, you always look back and say, and like, look like at wow, assistants. I can't believe they did. I can't believe goalies played without a helmet. I yeah. can't believe players played without a helmet. And it's not just hockey players. Like, you know, to make a comparison. Every sports kind of has their their moment in the sun like that. Formula One, which is objectively an incredibly dangerous sport. They have this thing. It's like a their version of the, the roll cage. And it's essentially like a, a, a hoop above their head. And then there's a bar that comes straight down the middle. And people are like, it obstructs their vision. Not really. A driver's never looking dead straight. They're always looking at the turn, whatever. But there was so much pushback from the drivers themselves about visibility, how it looked, etc. And then over the course of however many seasons since it's been implemented, you can pick like five times where a flat out just saved someone's life. Like you would have seen a gruesome like tire crushing someone's head. It it stopped a car from landing on them. And you, the conversation now is I can't believe I pushed back on that because it saved my life. And that's the kind of thing, like it's universal across sports. And I think leagues have a hard, you have a fine line to walk because some element of it is there's a risk in the game. But to me, some Kevlar around your neck is a small price to pay to stave off like the worst, even if it never affects you in your career. Like you just don't want that coming into play. Dead Aim says, we knew something like this would happen. Hopefully it's not a sign of things to come and of more growing pains with the Red Wings. The team is coming out slow the last week of games. Do we need a change on defense or is it the forward pairings? I wonder, uh, I know this is pure speculation, but you know, remember like Dabrinkit was out kind of with an illness. Like, I don't know. Everybody seems a little bit more lethargic than they were before. You think before. there's a bug? I, you know, it's totally speculation. And I have no idea insight into this at all, but like the Red Wings were playing high pace, up tempo, and creating a lot of chances, and now they just look like a little bit off, a little bit slower. I, I don't know. I I'm totally just spitballing that idea. Maybe whatever went through us like in September is now reaching NHL teams. I pray for them. <laughs> yeah, that was it's not great. I was talking to someone else actually in the the Detroit media world, and they're they're going through it too. It's not. Yeah, it's not a fun time. Bruce Boudreaux's new nuclear Warensky Shire barbecue sauce. You got me with that one. It says, been banging this drum in other circles for a while now, but shouldn't everyone be concerned that the cap very well could flatten out again? The bad economy for the U.S. and Canada is likely going to negatively impact hockey-related revenue, and overall advertising budgets seem to be getting cro- cut across the landscape as well. That is very true, let me tell you. Uh, should the NHL really be considering expanding again before finances are more certain? Well, you know what expansion comes with? 
a billion dollar expansion fee from outside money. Yeah, you know who likes cash injections? Yeah. The government and the NHL. Billionaires love to get a billion dollars. That's how they became billionaires. So you're right that there's economic risk to the league right now where we had a conversation on a previous show, like tickets are getting expensive and you're not seeing barns fill up like you used to. But expansion will be, I actually think it makes expansion more likely because ownership is greedy and the league will want to continue to show growth on, you know, they, they want to show how big that green number is. And if the expansion fee really is a billion dollars, though, then they're going to do that. My prediction, by the time we reach 2030, we will have or have plans for 36 teams in the NHL. Plans or have them in the league? Yeah. No, wait, that was a question. No, either one. Yes? No, either one. Okay. I don't think it's... I don't think it's feasible for Jesus. What does yours say? Dude. Dude. <laughs> hey guys, who's on first? Yeah, it was that, but much stupider. <laughs> Lars Thorzell says, hello lads. Apparently the sky is falling since the plan to win 81 straight games failed. Oh, well, we are still making the playoffs. A team that is looking very shaky so far as the Calgary Flames, if they choose to tear it down and start an early rebuild or go for some kind of a retool, should Detroit go for a trade for Elias Lindholm and try to sign him? He's a very solid center and would allow Detroit to have more of a one-two punch, right? Cheers, boys, and keep up the great work. Two things. Based on multiple multiple reports stating that Lindholm's contract uh, request is around what Larkin got, uh, my answer to that would be hell no. But more relevantly, the Calgary Flames, go look at their contract structure and situation right now. They do not have the option to rebuild because everybody on that core except Lindholm is signed for the next seven to eight years. This is the first year of Jonathan Huberto's $10.5 million contract. And Mackenzie Weger and Backlund's got a new extension kicking in and Kadri's got six or seven years left. They can't, they can't do anything. I think Markstrom's got a bunch of years left. They are stuck. And they have a new barn being built, so they're not going to suck and come into that sucking like they're going to need fans in that building. Like, yeah, they're going to yeah, stick. Who'd ever open up a new arena and a rebuild? That's weird. It is Detroit one to one. Last question here from Darren Fix says: Could anyone have foreseen the streak of great play from Joey V? Anyone at all? Darren is banging the Joey Valeno drum for a long time. I love that he's taking this prove it year to heart. While he's obviously not going to score every game the rest of the way, unless you can bet he'll still be noticeable. All said, what do you now think is a realistic career path? Elite 3C, a comfort type guy that slowly works his way up the lineup, gone at the trade deadline. I'm rooting for a Draper-like career, a solid glue guy for years to come. I'm not saying he's going to do it, but the Rocket Richard conversation should be had. <laughs> we need to at least talk about it. We can't ignore that. Justin Hall as well for Norris, all of that. Uh, I think the Confer, the Confer outcome would be a great result for Joe Valeno, I don't know necessarily that that's likely, but well, let's see how he's doing at the end of the season. Like if he puts up a full year like this, then yeah, you could see him as a, you know, good 3C option, fill in 2C option that plays both ways, can contribute from time to time. That would be great. Teams love guys like that too. Yeah. They'll, they will have a spot. They're not going to be the guys to get $10 million, but they'll but have... They're, they're getting a contract every single time they're due for one. They'll get overpaid in free agency if they choose to walk, and they'll yeah. always have job security, 100%. All right, folks, we're going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Again, Winged Wheel Podcast night at the LCA, Saturday, November 4th. Wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings, or go to the link in the description to get your tickets. It is very, very important that you do so uh, before they run out or go away. So again wingedwheelpodcast.com slash Red Wings, Saturday, November 4th. We'd like to thank all of you so much for tuning in. To any new listeners, welcome to the show. And listeners of old, thanks for sticking with us. And to all of our patrons, you are who makes this happen. Our name level supporters on Patreon, thank you so very much. Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Akefer, Samuel Soderholm, Raymond's Missing Tooth, Icon, Brad's Lord and Savior, Bradley Cleveland, Glenn Brabham, Everybody Loves Raymond, Croner's Left Knee, Ashley Van Conant, Sea Lion, Keenan O'Donoghue, Yanni Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew M. Rice, Admiral Matt S. of the Cheesebag Navy, Brian J. Bauer, Carl Bertana Nanaluski, Citizen High Five, Clip Clop Nene, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets and Anywhere But Tempe, Craig Kibble, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, D-Town, Westside, Brand New Name Level Supporter, Exquisitine Buble Schwinslow, Give Blood Fight Probert, Hockey Town Love, Hockey Town Matt, Hassam Al-Qasem, 
Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Marcus, Marlon Winchester, Matt K, Cannon Fodder to the Cheesebag Army, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Never Go Full Kyle, RA, Red 3, Ryan Hubbard, Ryan Vargas, brand new name level supporter, great name, Ryan, Scott Martin, Scree and Lube, Brian Vasha, that's what I appreciate about you, Woman's Elite Dancing D, we're all out of Pinto, are Black Beans okay instead? That's good. Eyes are playing Stan, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Adam Rose, Andrew Broderick, brand new name level supporter, welcome Andrew, Axel Sandy Pelica, Big Cheese, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Chuck Buffchest, the Tarpless Goon, Commander Ben Barron of the Cheesebag Space Force, Connor, Connor Leighton, Corey Preda, Darren Fick, D-Boss, Snip Show, Frank Stanley, Ferk Houston, NHL to Portland, baby, Gene Sullivan, Griffey Boy, Healthy Scratch in the NOSHO, Henrik Robert Deeks, James Laporte, James Pridemore, Jeremiah Dobo, JM Rhapsody, John Evans Derogatory, John Ingalls, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Norris Sider, Ophelia, Stephen, The Hodag, The Mexinadian, The Hat123, Winging It in San Diego, ex formerly AA Ron, and your second favorite patron. Thank you all so very much. We'll talk to you Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.